This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm the publisher and editor-in-chief of The Tonic Magazine and producer and host of The Tonic Talk Show and Podcast. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll learn about the importance of parasite cleanses with Gordon Chang. We'll find out how to succeed without the hustle and grind with Hina Khan. We'll discover pesto perfection with Shauna Lindzen. And lastly, we'll discuss sex after kids with Carlisle Jansen. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. Did you know that your mucus actually has health benefits? Researchers have identified components of mucus that can specifically interact with the fungus Candida albicans and prevent it from causing infection. These molecules, known as glycans, are a major constituent of mucans, the gel-forming polymers that make up mucus. Poor sleep is associated with a significantly increased risk of life-threatening flare-ups in people with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, according to a new study by the National Institute of Health. The risk for these flare-ups, sudden bouts of worsening breathing, was 25 to 95% higher in people who experienced poor sleep than people who had good quality sleep. The findings suggest that poor sleep may be a better predictor of flare-ups than even a person's history of smoking. Researchers are looking into the environmental impact of surgical procedures, and in particular, the waste-heavy and energy-intensive specialty of orthopedic surgery. For example, a total knee replacement can greatly improve a patient's quality of life, but first, the procedure itself will create nearly 30 pounds of waste, about half of which presents a biohazard and requires energy-intensive treatment for safe disposal. That was your tonic quick shot. I'll be joined by Dr. Gordon Chang in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian-owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings, and he's a regular on the show. Welcome back, Gordon. How are you? Great, thank you. Once again, thank you for having me on board. Always a pleasure. So, this time of year, I've been in the garden for a while... And what that means is I'm in the dirt, Gordon, and there's all kinds of bugs and stuff because I'm back with nature. 
And I'm wondering about parasites and how people get parasites and, and what happens. You know, the bugs is not going to be your problem. No? What the problem is going to be is the bugs that you can't see. Ah. And most of us, you know, in all fairness, because we live in a city environment, back in the good old days, you have a lot more parasites. But today, our environment is a lot more pristine, so we don't tend to have as much parasites. However, a lot of us, if you eat a lot of sushi... Yep. Right, raw foods, if you eat a lot of salads, right? That is one of your major sources of parasites because what happens, you, not necessarily you're going to get a, a worm or so, you might get an egg. The egg enters into your, your stomach, right, into your GI tract. Under normal conditions, right, a lot of your parasites are killed off by the acids in the stomach. Yeah, I would have thought so. Right, yeah. Yeah. but every so often, some of it goes through. And when some of it goes through, they set up residence in the lower, the small intestine, right, and, and the large intestine. And this is where you can get growth. But in, in all fairness, in North America, Western Europe, most of us probably don't have a huge issue with it to the point where there's a theory that says that, you know, there's a lot more people who are floating around with allergies, food allergies, etc., and autoimmune diseases. Some of it, they it is claimed is result from the fact that we our environment is much too clean. Okay. But um, having, having said that, a lot of us do go on vacation. Yeah. We go on vacation to places like Mexico, the Dominican Republic, Cuba, right? Those, if you're going to get a parasite, that's where you're going to get it. Some of us swim in lakes where we can get Giardia as, a, as an example of a parasite. Again, that's where we're going to get it. So whilst I won't say that you should be taking a parasite cleanse on a regular daily basis, it's good to do one at least twice a year. Okay. Now, a little, a little sidebar to this is that when I was growing up, I grew up in a place called Trinidad, mm-hmm. and this is in the 60s, right? So my grandmother used to live with us, and my grandmother coming from China, the old country, mm-hmm. Where there's lots of parasites, okay, because everybody lives in a rural place. I will tell you, we had a parasite cleanse once a month, regular like clockwork. Mm. My grandmother set a clock by this. I swear it was carved in her calendar. (laughs) But I'll tell you, when we got that parasite cleanse, I would have preferred the worms. Yeah. Because it was so nasty tasting. So we got it on a Friday night. The Saturday, we got a good dose of Philips milk of magnesia to wash it out. And I'll tell you, we didn't stray far from home on Saturdays. What is this happening? (laughs) (laughs) Now, the reason I bring this up is because some people think, okay, all, all I do is a parasite cleanse and that's it. But what you don't realize is that if you kill off the parasites, or even if you make your, your environment toxic to the parasites, you still got to get rid of them. You got to get it out. All right. So this is where I would suggest, you know, if you're doing a parasite cleanse, also take some something as a bulk laxative, not something like a chemical laxative, but like a bulk laxative. So it'll help increase your number of bowel movements. So things like high fibers, so things like psyllium or something like that, yep. you can use something like that to, to get the parasites out, right? Now, what kind of herbs people have used for parasites, to get rid of parasites? Mm-hmm. You know, usually there's a whole slew of, the, of different herbs that, that people have used, right? In the West here, most of us will know things like black walnuts, hulls, the green hull black walnut, right? Yep. 
but there are things like garlic that will help get rid of it. Pumpkin seed also works for it, right? Usually, what I advocate is a blend of different herbs. And the reason I say a blend of different herbs is because different types of herbs affect different types of parasites differently. So some are more effective against one form of a parasite than another one. Right. Usually with parasites, most of these parasite cleanses, these herbs, etc., they work very well against adult parasites or parasites in the larva, larva stage. However, when they are in the egg stage, they're usually very resistant to any type of parasite cleanses. Hmm. Yeah, so usually what I would advocate for some of these things is that you take a parasite cleanse for about a week to two weeks, and that will get rid of the adults. But you still have eggs. And, you, you know, you wait a week or so, let the eggs hatch, and repeat. And usually that would get rid of most of your parasites. Now, I'm not going to say you're going to get rid of all, right? One worm living in you is not a bad thing, right? Because we're, over, we're not competing with the worms for food because we get a lot of food, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, and there's some people who claim, say that these uh, one or two worms in there actually is beneficial to your immune health, right? But that's, that's another story for another day, right? Okay. So, but anyway, so once we have the parasite cleanse, right, one of the things you have to do is to get rid of, of the toxins that are, that are released when you should get rid of the parasites. Yep. And... No, if they're in the GI tract, what happens is the, once the toxins are released, your body reabsorbs some of that toxin. So in order to get rid of them quickly, right, minimize your contact time, you take bulk fiber. Right, Bulk fiber does two things, like something like a psyllium or, or cipralm, you know, any of those things. What they do, they bind to the toxins, so it prevents them from being absorbed. And also it increases your frequency of bowel movement, so it gets rid of these toxins, so it flushes it out, so you minimize the amount absorbed, okay? Now, when people are doing a parasite cleanse, I also suggest, you know what, do something to help clean out the liver and do something to, to look after your kidney health, etc. And I usually advocate a sort of a cleansing routine. You do it all at the same time, right? Makes sense. And the idea with this, I, I, and I know there's a lot of us who say who poo-poo the idea of doing a cleanse, right? Because there are some people who don't feel that they have done a cleanse on, until unless they are taking something that will make them sick, meaning that they're, they're praying to the porcelain gods or sitting on the porcelain throne all day, right? They don't feel as if they've done something. It does not need to be that harsh, right? Because... Basically, what you're trying to do with a cleanse, I, I say a cleanse is something like you're basically sweeping your floors and getting rid of all the excess dust. You will never get a house that is totally dust-free, so don't expect you to get rid of all of your toxins. What you're just basically trying to do is keep ahead of the dirt, so you're keeping ahead of the toxins. Your, your body can store um, a certain amount of toxins. It can live with a certain amount of toxins. You just have to... Clean it out to make sure that you're optimizing your body's ability to fight off infections and to, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. so these are some of the general ideas I would say for, for parasite cleanses and cleansing in general. Okay, so if I were to do a parasite cleanse, what would I experience? Like, as it starts to work, how would I feel? Well, it depends on, A, several things. One is... Do you have a bad parasite infection? Right. If, if you've been to, say, down to the tropics and you decided 
that you're going to eat things like raw oysters that's yeah. harvested locally, yeah. right? Well, if it's harvested locally and they're raw, I know you're going to get something because of the environment and where they are, right? So chances are you're going to get some sort of a parasite. If you had grown up down there and you were eating this stuff on a regular basis, your body would have some sort of a defense against it. But you're a guy coming from the pristine North America and you end up down there and you're eating you know, a lot of fresh vegetables, etc. You not, you don't have built up this resistance. So you chances are you have some sort of a parasite in there. So what you would do, you take your regular parasite cleansers and there's several of them out there. And what you would expect, some people might get ill Right, if they have a bad infection, but a lot of people, you shouldn't notice anything at all because basically, the, if you think of a size of a womb and the size of you, all right, it takes a lot more to make you sick than it would for the womb. And a lot of people will ask me, do am I the parasite cleanses are killing the womb, right, or what is it doing to the wombs, right? And I, I say it doesn't necessarily have to kill the wombs. It just has to make the environment in which it resides toxic enough that it will detach. Because a lot of parasites, they, if they're in your intestinal tract, they, they basically hang on to the, side, the sides of the, um, by, by basically suctioning, for want of a better way of saying it, onto your, your um, intestinal wall. And all you have to do is to make that environment toxic enough or adverse enough so that it releases and once it releases, you can you can exit it um, by uh, having a good stool movement, right? Okay. But as I said, most of us will probably never no- won't notice any major major issues. Do you need to change your diet or change your habits or take precautions in order to prevent getting parasites, or is cleansing enough? Okay. For most of us, cleansing is enough, right? Because let's say we go down to we eat sushi. Yep. We, we, unless you're living on sushi, and even sushi, they, they, freeze, they freeze the fish, and that kills off a lot of the parasites, etc. Right. But if you go down to the tropics, etc., we're not living there, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're there to have a good time. Your body has defenses that can deal with a lot of these things. And what we're basically trying to do is to cover all our bases when we do a parasite cleanse. And some of us do get infected, and if we do get infected, you know, as long as we're healthy, right, you don't see major issues. There's some of us who will show major issues because, you know, we're not as healthy as we think we are, et cetera, and so we are, and we're more susceptible. So in cases like that, right, you do your parasite cleanse, get rid of your parasites, right, and that you should be back to normal. Are there classes of people or groups of people that are more at risk to have parasites other than people that are traveling to the tropics or eating too much sushi? Well, anybody with a, um, if your immune system is depressed, that's one of the things. Uh, if you are taking things like um, the certain types of ulcer medication, which inhibits acid production, mm-hmm. uh, that may make you more susceptible. Because you have to remember, one of your, your biggest barriers to parasites is the acid in your stomach. And if you are taking ulcer medication, one of the, some of these ulcer medications, what they do is they inhibit acid production. Uh, and these are what's called the proton pump inhibitors, right? Yep. And if you inhibit acid production, then your stomach is not as acidic. And if it's not as acidic, you know, um, parasite eggs, etc., can survive passage through the stomach. Okay. 
So we have time for one last question, and that is, how do you do an intestinal cleanse for parasites? Okay. When we do an intestinal cleanse, uh, as I said, I, I would parasite cleanse and a colonic cleanse. Do those two together. Right, a colonic cleanse is not as as harsh as it sounds. You just need to have increased bowel movements with, with colonic cleanse. I usually say do that in conjunction with a parasite cleanse. Okay, and the reason you want to do that, as as I said, is that when you get the parasites to detach, and uh, if they die, they, they will release toxins. You want to get that out as quickly as possible. All right. So mm-hmm. so th- there are several herbs that people have used. They they the herbs like butternut swash seeds, right? Or pumpkin seeds, right? We have some Chinese herbs that we use or some like areca, catechu, right? Grantoria seed. And the reason I, I like to use a lot of the Chinese herbs is because if anything the Chinese know, it's parasites. And the reason they know parasites is because for the longest while they were they, they lived in the, in the countryside, the vast population was in the countryside. Mm-hmm. And anytime you're living in a countryside, guarantee you, you're living in symbiosis with parasites. Makes total sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me on again. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Suffering with pain or arthritis? Having trouble sleeping due to stress and anxiety? Understand the benefits of medical cannabis science. Optican CB4 Relief Soft Gels are formulated with patented Vesisorb pharmaceutical technology and are clinically proven to deliver four and a half times more CBD into your bloodstream three times faster than conventional CBD capsules. That's reliable relief in a nutshell and in an Optican soft gel. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist and sign up at OptiCan2Ns.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hinnicon guides and mentors people to work through seemingly unbreakable barriers, whether it be creating quantum leaps in their business or exceeding personal goals. She helps people challenge the thoughts and beliefs that are holding them back. Then through extensive work, those thoughts and beliefs are replaced with ones which help to supercharge her client's growth. As a peak performance coach and registered psychotherapist inactive, Hina has been a student of the mind, human behavior, and human potential for almost two decades. And for more information about Hina, you can always visit hinacon.ca. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? I am great. How are you, Jamie? I'm intrigued. Because, like, I've been hustling, you know? Like, I've been, I was a sole practitioner or in a small firm for a number of years as a lawyer and the sole directing mind of Tonic Media for a number of years. So all I was doing was hustling and grinding, but here you are coming on the show telling us we don't need to do that. No, no, you don't need to do that at all. I think that was something many of us did. We're programmed to do it, but in my opinion, it is an outdated model and there is a better way. Okay, so, you know, a lot of people are proud of that work ethic, that sort of mentality 
But you don't agree, do you? No, not at all. I think that they are proud because it gives them permission to eventually rest. So, for example, when we are going on vacation or we are going away, many times people will tell you about all the things that they did before. Like, I was really, really busy. I feel like I'm burnt out. So now I've earned this rest. I've earned this recovery. And so in that way, we are proud of it because it allows us then to have permission to take it easy. But being busy is not a virtue. In fact, Brianna West, who wrote the book, The Mountain is You, says this, that it only signals to others that you don't know how to manage your time or your tasks. Ouch. (laughs) Couldn't it mean that, like, there's a lot of things that you have to do to succeed? I mean, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, as an entrepreneur or a former entrepreneur, there's just like a million things that needed to get done, right? You know, what about that side of the coin? So there are ways that we can get done and we can be productive yeah. and we can be effective. I think there are many people who are very busy and seem very busy, but it's chaotic. True. It's not orderly. And in many ways, it can be used as protection, like oh, well, don't reach out to him or her. They're so busy. That person is so busy. And we we do wear it as a badge of honor at times, but it's also a way sometimes to keep people at a distance. I also think it can be a bit of a show. I I remember when I was working at at the big law firms, there were people that used to, you know, make a big show of working like until midnight, right? But then, you know, during the day, they'd be out kibitzing. So it really wasn't necessarily that they were working hard, They were just putting on the show of working hard or at least working long hours. Totally. And we know that term like, oh, you know, got to do some busy work. Yeah, right. You know, which is just making stuff up to seem like you are doing something because your value comes from or you feel that you are being judged upon how much you are doing or how busy you are. And I really think it's time we flip the narrative. It's like we've got all of this technology That supposedly is here that can make our lives easier, but we are just, we're we're not using it to our benefit, and we're still kind of in this hustle and grind mentality, which just leaves us exhausted, or we feel like we're not doing enough. And so the rest is foreign. It's like, what? I can just kind of rest and relax and still create and still have like quantum leaps in my business? You absolutely can. Okay, so you've identified an issue and you've certainly let us know how you feel about it through your criticism. Let's switch. So how do we do that? How do we succeed without grinding and hustling? So the one thing is to, first of all, understand that, you know, grinding and hustling, it's like, who said it has to be that way? So even the fact of accepting the idea. So the first thing is to just accept the idea. Do you believe that you can succeed without grinding and hustling? Me, per- do you, do you me- believe that? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to stay on the fence on this one. Do I believe it? I, I need to hear more from you, Hannah, to be honest. You know, okay. like, you're going to have to convince me. How about that? I have an open mind, but you haven't convinced me. Oh, my gosh. We're, we're in the courtroom now. Well, okay. I always, so, always. Well, always. Go on. <laughs> so what I would say is that's the first place. Because okay. if we don't believe it, then we will. We can all we, confirmation bias, right? Like sure. we can find reasons that it doesn't work. So what happens is we first accept the idea that it is possible. So just accept that it is yeah, possible. Yeah, no, 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 of course. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying I need to hear more about how this would work in a practical right. way. Okay. Perfect. 
So we have the idea that this is possible. It is possible for me to grow my business or to do more in less time. And the way to do that, honestly, is to start to think. So much of our busyness and what we do in the day is automatic. We've just been doing it that way. Mm-hmm. So the first thing would be is you've got to look at your day and take inventory of your day. If the busy work and you feeling exhausted and drained at the end of the day, which some of the viewers or listeners may feel that way, is that because of your work that you're getting done? Or is that also what other people's agendas are for you to do? Mm-hmm. So Really, the first thing is to take stock of your day. When you take stock of your day and you do a time audit, even of what you spend your time on, you're going to realize that you have a lot more time. And the truth is, Jamie, we can't manage time. It is what it is. But what we can manage is our activities. So the way that we are less busy, the way that we are not hustling and grinding and struggling is because we become more effective in our activities. Okay. So that would be the first step. Look at your calendar, do an inventory, and you decide what is important for you because many times we're doing what other people want us to do. Okay. Then where do we go from there then? So then you have to start to implement it. Now, this is the hard part for many people because your programming is going to start chirping at you, your inner critic, like you're not doing enough. Right. What do you mean? You could be doing that. You haven't, what, you're, you're finishing your day at two? Oh, no, 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 there's way more to do. So there's this time when you're not fully in this new place yet, but you're kind of trying to leave the old way of doing things. That's going to be the time that's really uncomfortable. And you're going to be tempted to turn on yourself. So what you do is you put some things even in your calendar that you're going to keep a promise to yourself to stick to. So for one of my clients, it was one of the things we did was she always worked through her lunch. Many people can relate to that. Yep. But uh, And she's an entrepreneur. She runs a business. And I said to her that she had to mark off lunch and go to a different room, like have lunch, go for a walk, but give herself that time. That was very difficult for her. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult, but she did it. And ironically, a year later, it, that one act led to her taking a two-week vacation in Greece and completely unplugging. But she mentions that one act because that started to have her acclimatized to the idea of even building some rest in her day, mm-hmm. that she doesn't have to go, 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 go. And that's when you have the ideas, and that's how you're much more effective. It's when you give yourself that time. So you got to get it into your calendar. Some people want to have Fridays off. Put it in the calendar and be more effective during your activities during the other times of the week. And, and Jamie, can I say this? You have to say no to some things. Okay, so what kind of things can you say no to, though? Whatever you want. <laughs> okay. What, yeah. if you're, what if you're not an entrepreneur, though? What if you're working for somebody else? How does this manifest without annoying your superiors? Well... First of all, hopefully, like also with leaders are starting to realize that having employees that are burnt out or exhausted is not beneficial to their bottom line either. So first of all, I would love to see this mandated that this is the way a lot of cultures and companies are now going to run their organization by making this part of it, by not glorifying staying till midnight like you said because sometimes there's competition like 
Like people are just staying so they can send that email out or send that email at like five in the morning so that it can be seen that they've been working so much. So part of it's a culture to not glorify it anymore and not to wear it as a badge of honor. But then I think that you do your work really well. And it's not the amount of time, but it's how effective you can be. And you start to do that and start to believe in yourself and start to let that go. And I think people will start to follow. I mean, I'm with you to the extent where you have to map out your day and make sure that, you know, it isn't all work. You know, I have the luxury, like part of what I do is, you know, commercial, right? Like I'm responsible for sales and I'm responsible, you know, for all sorts of things in in my role as publisher and producer. But then obviously there's a huge creative part to what I do as well, right? Because I'm putting out a magazine and I'm putting out a talk show and you can't just work at the creative side. You kind of have to allow ideas to percolate. And those ideas do not percolate if you're just grinding away. So I, I hear what you're saying. I agree with you. You know, the studies show that only 16% of breakthroughs, creative breakthroughs, happen at work. They almost never do for me. For me, They almost uh, never do. So then, Jamie, wouldn't it make sense that if you had a team that you would, like, you would be like, okay, I know that for my team, if, if most creative breakthroughs don't happen at work, I want to instill an environment or a culture where we value go for a walk. You don't have to be tied to your desk, right? Well, you know, part of why I don't practice law anymore is the drive to for billable hours, which which is that's all lawyers do. Right. Like particularly at the big firms, they're expected to to put out a certain number of hours. That's it. I mean, obviously, the results are important, but from a billing perspective, it's hours. That's it. So there you go. So I'm with you. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Jamie. For more information about Hina, visit hinacon.ca. For great articles and interviews on health and wellness, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn how to achieve pesto perfection on the tonic. Hi, this is Safina, and I'm a Walmart pharmacist. Whether you're looking for a medication review, diabetes screening, or have questions about your health, your local Walmart pharmacist is here to help. Find out more at walmart.ca slash pharmacy services. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. My next guest, Shauna Lindzen, is a dietitian and nutritionist. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. And you can find a list of her nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalindzen.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. How are you? Good. And an upcoming issue of The Tonic, you give a fantastic recipe for pesto, but we thought it would be fun uh, to sort of get in front of it and talk about pesto today, right? 
Yeah, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to pesto. I certainly hope so, because we have a few minutes to fill up. So what is pesto, for those who don't know? So pesto is of Italian origin, and the word comes from an Italian verb, to crush or to pound, typically with a mortar and a pestle, but not everyone's going to have that at home. Nope. So you can do it like in a little food processor, even a blender, and make your own. Indeed. So when most people think of pesto, they think of Genoan pesto, right? Yes. Which is the basic pesto. So that is comprised of typically fresh garlic, Mm -hmm. pine nuts, basil leaves, like the fresh leaf, Mm -hmm. and a hard cheese, like Parmigiano-Reggiano or a pecorino. Mm -hmm. And typically that's blended up. And then olive oil is emulsified into it. So you get this smooth, creamy pesto sauce. Yes. So when you go to a restaurant and you're going to order a pesto or a Genovese pesto, that's what you're going to get with slight variations. Yeah. But and the, the Genovese yeah. word comes from basil. It's a type of Italian basil. Yes. Yeah. Because not all basil is the same. There is special, if you, if you can find it, there is special Genovese basil that is better to use for pesto than other types of basil, just so people know. Exactly. I actually grow my own. I have a herb garden mm-hmm. in the winter, too. It's an arrow garden that's this little contraption, and that's the pesto that they give you the seeds to grow. So it's always at my fingertips. And if you don't have basil yeah. in the house and you want to make a beautiful pesto, you could use flat leaf parsley. You can use arugula, which will give it a little bit of a peppery flavor. You can use spinach. There are things that you can replace it with. Yeah, I mean, if you're making a big batch, the amount of basil that you need can sometimes be expensive. So, like, I'm not a parsley fan. I I don't really abide by it. But I often put spinach or arugula in my pesto to round it out. It actually, it makes it more cost efficient. And also, particularly with the arugula, you're right. The peppery flavor really makes a difference. You can make pesto with other nuts as well, right? Because pine nuts are at the high end of the spectrum. Oh, pine Uh, nuts are so pricey. So a really good substitution are hemp hearts or hemp seeds. Mm -hmm. They're the same almost consistency of a pine nut, and they're inexpensive. And the benefit is you get a boost of, it's a bonus, you get a boost of protein. Yeah, I mean, there are other nuts you can use as well, right? As long as there's no food allergies. Yeah, like walnuts. Walnuts. I mean, in the south of Italy, where I I was quite recently, they have a pesto that utilizes uh, sun-dried tomatoes and almonds. And they consider it a a pesto as well. Yeah, delicious. So traditionally, you'll use a nut, and then you can use kind of the umami flavors, like sun-dried tomatoes, to just give it more body and more... You could even put, like, olives in to give it just a kick, like a salty, really yummy kick, actually. Yeah, I mean, I make pesto regularly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't follow a recipe. That's just how I roll, although a lot of people aren't comfortable with that. Do you have tips in how to make pesto and and how to go about it? Absolutely. So when you're making pesto, I would say the first and foremost suggestion is to have a really good extra virgin olive oil. Because you want that bitterness to come through. You want the deep richness of the olive oil. 
And let's say you're making a pesto and you're vegan. So my tip for that is to use um, nutritional yeast instead of the one of the cheeses that you would traditionally use. Mm-hmm. But if you are using nutritional yeast, you're going to have to put a little bit extra salt. Okay. Just because it, it doesn't have like a salty flavor, but it has a cheesy flavor. And just my biggest tip is start with the best ingredients, like get a good Parmigiano-Reggiano. You don't want to use the pre-grated store-bought Parmesan that sits on the shelf. That's not going to give it a great texture, nor is it going to give it a great flavor. Can I add some tips in? Absolutely. Okay. So I always put the garlic in last. And what I try and do is I balance all the other ingredients first. I find that once you taste it with raw garlic, it overwhelms. Like what happens, I let the pesto sit so that the flavors can meld. So I would taste the pesto as you're making it to make sure you've got it properly salted and peppered and et cetera, and then put the garlic in at the last bit and then let it sit so that it can melt. Yeah, that's a really good tip. Another tip to get the garlic a little less potent is if you are using lemon juice, like adding yeah. a, like a little bit of lemon juice, you can actually let the garlic sit in the lemon juice and that will dull the strong garlic flavor. Or you could use roasted garlic is another or, option. Yeah, you could use the roasted garlic as well. But that's a really good tip. The other thing along the lines of the garlic is it's important to crush the garlic really well. Like yep. you don't want big pieces of garlic no, hanging agreed. around because yep. it's going to be all that you taste, right? Yeah. And it, I mean, maybe it doesn't need to be said, but also toast the nuts first. Yes toast the nuts. I don't typically toast hemp seeds, but I do toast pine nuts because pine nuts, not toasted, have a very piney flavor almost. So toasting them really brings out, it dries them up a bit because they're very oily nuts and it really lends itself to really good flavor. The thing with about pine nuts are the tipping point is really soon and really quick. So they go from raw to burnt If you're not paying attention. So, you know, pesto, it's more of an art than a science. But if you're going to toast the pine nuts, keep your eye on them. You don't want to cry because you will cry if you throw out $40 worth of pine nuts. So so the way I toast them is I take a dry skillet. So that's another tip. You don't want to toast them in oil. You toast them dry. And you literally just keep flipping them on lower heat. If you put them on higher heat and you have really good pans, the pan will get too hot and they'll burn quickly. I go the toaster oven route and I just keep an eye on them and then I I, I shake them around a bit. Yeah, I don't, you do not put them in oil. They are an oily nut to begin with. They don't need it. Exactly. And yeah, if you go the toaster oven route, another tip typically that I would do if I go the toaster oven route is to turn the toaster on, put the nuts in and as the toaster's coming to temperature, it will slowly toast the nut as okay. opposed to throwing them in at like 350, for instance. Okay. So let's get to the good part, which is how do you use, I mean, obviously you, you could put it on, on pasta, but what are your pesto recipes? How else do you use pesto? I've got some great recipes. I would say I have my top three that are in my usual rotation. So mm. And I, this is actually being published in the tonic issue, the July issue. Yep. I typically will do a burrata plate where I bring a large ball of burrata cheese to room temperature. I slice up heirloom tomatoes, 
put them around it, around the burrata ball, and then I just drizzle homemade pesto. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually vary the ingredients. I'll sometimes use the pine nuts, sometimes use the hemp hearts, sometimes use walnuts. Yep. And then I put really good quality balsamic vinegar yep. as my acid. I think pesto with balsamic vinegar is a fantastic combination. It really is like a marriage made in heaven. Mm-hmm. It's a good match. Any other suggestions? Yeah, I do stuffed mushrooms. I actually have that on my website, which is shaunalinson.com. Mm-hmm. I do a really yummy caprese pasta salad where mm-hmm. I make a pesto. I use lots of lemon zest, and I cut up the little bocconcini cheese balls, tomatoes, and just wrap the pasta in the pesto. And then you have your protein, you have your carbohydrate, you've got your flavor there. It's really delicious. So I would go with the cheese tomato root. You can also even use pesto as a condiment, like slap yep. it on a burger instead of ketchup or mustard. My go-tos are uh, sometimes you can replace pizza sauce with pesto yes. uh, for a different vibe, but then you might want to put some fresh tomatoes on to balance it out. I use pesto if I'm making sort of like, I call it cheesy eggs, but an egg scramble sometimes. If you put pesto in at the last minute, it can be interesting. Those are two that I go for. I actually mix pesto with other sauces. So I make a fresh tomato sauce with zucchini and shallots, and then I'll mix pesto in at the end. Uh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, yeah, that one rocks. That one I invented myself, actually. <laughs> uh, Do you ever mix pesto into ground meat to make like a meatball? No, I've never done that. I would do that with a poultry. I think it's it's too subtle for a meat, but do you do that with meat or veal? Or, or would you? Th- yes, I've done that with a meatball. So meat, pork, veal, if you eat a mixture, like the yeah. Italian way of making a meatball, yep. you put pesto into the mix, yep. and then you stew the meatballs or you fry them and then stew them in the tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. Like you're mixing it into the meatball and then the tomato sauce goes over it. Really mm. good flavor enhancer. It's like a flavor bomb. Well, that that uh, I think we're going to finish on that note. I don't think we're going to do that. Thanks for coming on the show today. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you want to talk about next time you're on? Let's talk about protein and vegetarian proteins like beans and lentils. Fantastic. That was Shauna Linzen. For more information about Shauna, visit shaunalinzen.com. For all of Shauna's articles, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll discuss sex after kids on The Tonic. Medicinal mushrooms offer a multitude of health benefits, including immune support, improved energy, and stress reduction. Medicinal mushroom extracts from New Roots Herbal, hot water extracted, providing you validated potency so you get their full health benefits. Discover Reishi, Lion's Mane, or Resilience, a seven-mushroom blend. Find the complete selection of medicinal mushroom extracts from New Roots Herbal exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit newrootsherbal.com. To ensure the products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Hi, this is Safina, and I'm a Walmart pharmacist. Whether you're looking for a medication review, diabetes screening, or have questions about your health, Your local Walmart pharmacist is here to help. Find out more at walmart.ca slash pharmacy services. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Carlisle Jansen is a sex therapist and founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality store and workshop centre. 
She is the author of two books, including Sex Yourself, and you can find her educational videos and TED Talk at carlislejansen.com, and she can be contacted directly at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hello, I'm well, thanks. Always a pleasure to be here. So today we're kind of talking about sex and relationships, but really what we're talking about is a factor which can kind of work against sexual relationships, and that is having kids, right? Mm -hmm. I think any parent who has kids experiences it, you know, like if you have kids, they're wonderful and they're lovely and I'm all in favor of it. But it certainly diminishes the time and energy that might otherwise be available to having an adult relationship, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they bring lots of joy and they, you know, yeah. alter our lives in many ways. And certainly intimacy and sexuality is one of the big ones, I find. So what's the danger, right? Like everybody's had a situation where like, you know, you just, for whatever reason, you don't have the energy, or you don't have time, but it can get worse than that, right? Well, so I think that we have this narrative, this idea that kids are so precious and that we have to focus all of our attention on them, that this is the primary area. We have to do everything for them. They have to have everything perfect. They have to have it all just so, and we have to twist ourselves in order for them to have a perfect life. Mm-hmm. And what happens then is that we neglect our relationship with a partner, if you have one. I mean, some people raise kids on their own. Mm -hmm. Some people do it in community or with multiple partners. But the reality is, is that the adults who are caring for the kids, that actually needs to be the primary focus. Because if that relationship isn't stable, talk to anybody who grew up in a home where their parents were fighting or they didn't get along, right? Then the stability is gone for the kids. So sometimes I think we need to shift our focus from the kids are the priority to the relationship is the priority, which doesn't mean we ignore the kids, but that we just shift that a little bit to make sure that that relationship between the adults is actually solid so that from there we can provide more energy and more love and more clarity and a better life for our kids overall. Yeah. And, you know, I think COVID has exacerbated that problem in two ways. Number one, we're all super concerned that our kids have all this fallout from COVID, you know, and the restrictions, you know, they're, they're not having their childhood and we feel guilty about that. And somehow we have to make it better. Like to your point, trying to make things perfect. I I think the pressure to do so when you see your kids struggling is even, is even higher, but also you know, everybody's locked in their houses and, yeah. have, and, and you know, if you don't have a healthy sexual relationship with your partner, the rest of the relationship can get pretty rocky if you're there, you know, 24-7 or a lot more than you used to be without the relief of maybe going to work or doing other things. For sure. Like we're so, we don't have time to miss each other. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. And we have more opportunities to get mad at exactly. like the little things. And then the kids are around all the time. Right. And so we don't have the relief from them that maybe we would have had from, you know, their soccer games or school or whatever. I mean, things are shifting now, so it's better. But True. But that concern for the kids is still very much there. True. Okay, so... We've identified the problem. Let's perhaps give some solutions. How do you shift into a romantic mood, you know, if you've spent the whole day caregiving and, you know, obviously it's one thing if the kids are infants, but even taking care of older kids. How do you shift gears? Yeah, I think we have to kind of take a few moments to shift from a parent and, you know, if you're working outside the home, you know, that kind of 
mindset to, okay, I'm an adult, I'm sexy, whether I feel it or not, I'm in a relationship. So it could be having a shower, could be just changing your clothes, could be reading an erotic story. You know, some people will even just like wear sexy clothing underneath their sweatpants, you know, or their work clothes, so that you're sort of keeping that in mind, you're keeping that side of yourself alive, so that we keep it going, and then we can shift more easily, we can transition if we've got sort of these transitional moments, like I'm going to have a bath, and then I'm going to be, you know, a lover, not just a wife or a dad or um, an an employee, right? I'm going to do something to shift, and now I'm in this other mode. That's a good idea. All right, like there's an emotional social toll to being a parent as well, right? Like where, where if that becomes your focus, then, you know, obviously other aspects of your life become unfocused. So how how do we avoid falling into the trap of taking our partner for granted, for example? So I think that we need to appreciate our partner regularly. You know, think about it. If you were not in a relationship and dating somebody new. Mm-hmm. Would you like not shower before you go out to dinner? Yeah. <laughs> Would you just wear sweatpants out on a date? Yeah. Would you not make time to affirm your partner that, wow, you're really sexy or I think you're really smart or, you know, I really appreciate this about you, right? Like we need to get into the mindset that we're still dating. You know, so we need to send sexy messages, plan fun things, dress up when you go out, express your appreciation for things that your partner is doing, because I think we sometimes think that they know that. Oh, they know that I love them. They know that I think they're sexy. But I think when we can write it in a nice card, in a sexy text, we use our words, we do it through touch, and not just sexual touch, but like, you know, I want to give you a back rub because you worked so hard today, Right. Those go a long way. Yep. What about, you know, the reality that, you know, doing all that parenting and every other responsibility that people have, there's only so much energy in the day. What about lack of energy? For sure. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's real, you know. That's very real. That's very real. And so I think part of what I try to remember is that good sex gives energy. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you are in a relationship where you know that sex is going to give you energy, then then kind of getting into the mind frame. It's a little bit like working out, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't have the energy, but you feel better afterwards. 100%. And in a relationship, you feel like, oh, I don't have the energy, but you know that you're going to be lighter the next day. Things aren't going to make you so upset. Your partner's going to be more giving, yep. um, you know, around doing chores. So that's part of it. And the other thing is like, okay, so maybe if sex, and my relationship's a priority, I'm going to order in food tonight rather than making food, or I'm going to um, not do the laundry, or maybe I'm going to ask a friend or a family member, hey, you know what, we just actually connected with my partner, can you take the kids in the afternoon, or, you know, finding another, if your kids have friends, right, like, okay, you take the kids one Friday, we'll take the kids one Friday, so every other Friday you have, like, a night to yourself. Right. So getting creative and using other resources is really helpful. And I find that the payoff is is really big in terms of feeling connected, emotional intimacy, sexual satisfaction. Everybody feels a lot better. Yeah, I guess that sort of blends into my next question, which is, you know, 
time and privacy, right? Which are other aspects of being a parent that, you know, you never seem to have the time and you never seem to have a quiet moment to yourself. So how do you, you you know, how do you deal with all that? You have to make that time. And so you sometimes have to decide that like the kids are going to sit in front of the TV for an hour while you connect. Um, Or, and and then, you know, you put a lock on the door (laughs) and you say, you know, we're having some adult time, you know, knock if you need us. And, you know, I know lots of people who said that they, you know, they knew that Saturday mornings their parents were having sex and it's like, ooh, that's gross. But there's a respect also and a value and learning that that was important to them. So getting creative in whatever way you need to, to find the privacy, take the time. And, you know, obviously you're not going to do things in front of your kids, but you, um, so you, you know, you get a lock on your door, you do it in private. Um, but it's okay too, to like kiss your partner's back of their neck or to stroke their shoulder or, you know, to tell them how much you love them. I think those are great things to show your kids. Yeah. I mean, there's PDAs and then there's PDAs, right? Mm -hmm. Like for sure, it's, it's okay. I think for kids to understand that the parents are affectionate and are together without sort of crossing the line where it's uncomfortable, Absolutely. you know? All right. We have time for one last question. And, and that is what if everything is going south and sex has become rote or just not fun? Like, what do you mm-hmm. do then? Yeah. I mean, you know, if the analogy I always use is that if you go to a restaurant and the food doesn't taste very good, are you excited to go back to the restaurant? Not so no. much, <laughs> unless the service is really good, but I'm pumped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, you know, sometimes we have to take responsibility for like, okay, what does good sex look like to me? What's an ideal sex session for me? And if you don't have ideas, read some erotic stories, talk to a professional. There are lots of great resources out there. You know, ask for what you want. Maybe it's not, hey, I want you to pleasure me in this way. Maybe it's like, can you just touch my back without any expectation of me doing anything in return and just stroke me for 10 minutes? Yeah. So taking responsibility for what would make sex worthwhile for you and asking for that. Sound advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure, Jamie. Thanks. What would you like to talk about next time you're on? So next time we are going to talk about incels, involuntary celibates. Very interesting. That was Carlisle Jansen. For more information about Carlisle, visit carlislejansen.com. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Hina Khan, Shauna Lindzen, and Carlisle Jansen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The May-June issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie@thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. 
Idea City on the Air and The Garden Show.